0: Traders. I used to trade on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange as a futures trader. Every one of our lives, every one of us in our lives is trading something. You're trading when you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And today we're going to continue in part three of our series called Marking Time or Making Lives. And it's all about beyond success to significance and the move there. So we've been looking at that. In the first week of our our study together, we looked at how to use your workplace as a place to grow spiritually. Work is very important. You spend a huge portion of your time at work. So in the first week, we looked at using your work as a place to grow spiritually. Then the second week, we looked at using your work and how to invest in your work for eternity. Now today... I want to take a look at something which we as a church globally haven't done a very good job at. And that is how to use your work as a place of ministry. That's what we're going to look at today. The brass tacks of what this looks like. Now the Bible says this in your outline. If you have an outline, I encourage you to take it out and write in it and make these notes your notes. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3 verse 14. Our people. Let's just stop there. Christians, our people, must learn, it's a skill, to spend their time doing good and providing for real needs. They should not live useless lives. Pretty strong, eh? Notice, our people, who's he talking about here? You see, if you're a believer, the way you approach your work should be very Different to those who are not believers, the way they approach their work. Now for a Christian, there are two purposes behind work that this verse alludes to. Number one is to do good. That's called ministry. That's called ministry. You serve God by serving others. And the second is to provide for real needs. That's called productivity. Two purposes, ministry and productivity. And God wants you to be productive in your work and he wants you to minister through your work, he says, they should not live useless lives. Now, many people in their workplace show up tomorrow morning. In fact, we were talking about this last night with a whole gathering of us together. Six of six couples that uh, we go back a long way. And we're talking about how some of them just show up for work, and they just mark time. They're watching the clock, waiting for the day to get over so they can go home. Now, these guys don't enjoy their work. They're just chewing up time, killing it. On the other hand, the Bible says in your work, God doesn't want you to just mark time. He wants you, and he's put you there to impact and mark lives. See, think about it this way. Some of you are going to get up tomorrow, and you're going to think, well, I'm here tomorrow as a salesman, or I'm here as a teacher, or I'm here as a doctor, or I'm here as a nurse, or as an engineer, or as an IT specialist, whatever you are, or in the warehouse, I'm here as a a warehouse storman. could I humbly suggest to you that is not your identity. Your primary identity is you are first and foremost, and most importantly, a Christian. And oh, by the way, you happen to be at this point in your life Being a mechanic, or a plumber, or a builder. All these things will pass, but your identity as a Christian should be primary. If you're a student, you are not a student first. You are a Christian that happens to be getting a degree at university. There's a difference in the orientation. Christ needs to be your identity first and foremost. God wants you to impact lives at work. He wants you to influence people for good. Look at this, Ephesians 2.10. God gave us new lives. Forget the old lives, new lives. And long ago, he, this is God, planned. This is God's plan. What's God's plan for my life? I hear that so often. This scripture here is black and white. He planned that we should spend these lives in what? What are these next words? Pardon? Pardon? But there's a problem with that verse, isn't there? For me and for you, what is it? What's wrong? Why can't we apply that verse as God planned? Because we're too busy. Wrapped up in our own lives. But God says here, my plan for your life is that you should spend your life helping others. That is called ministry. People like to super-spiritualize ministry. The Bible is incredibly practical. We are saved to serve. We are made for ministry. That is part of the design God says right there, I made you for. doesn't matter what kind of work, whether you're self-employed, whether you're working in your own home or working out of your home. God says he wants you to use your work to help others. That is called ministry. Now, one of the most basic truths in the Bible is this, is I serve God by serving other people. That is how it works. Guys, that's as clear a roadmap as I can give you. The Bible says this. So how can a work be my ministry? 1 Corinthians says this. Let all that you do be done in love. All that you do be done in love. Up here, I didn't put that in your outline I think. And that's the key. It's turning your work into a ministry it's not what you do, it's how you do what you do. Mother Teresa famously once said, it is not the kind of work that you do, but how much love you put into it that really matters. She's so right. First Corinthians from the Bible tells us this very clearly. In fact, it's, it's jarringly confronting. It says, I may accomplish all kinds of things, You may be the top salesperson, the top hairdresser. You could be whatever, the top of your field. But if I don't do it in love, it's worthless. It's useless in the long run. And in God's book, it doesn't count. It it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Clearly, God wants you and I tomorrow at work to do our work with an attitude of love. Then God says it turns normal, what could be perceived by some as menial work, regardless of what it is, into a ministry, because it's done in love. So how can I work in love? I want to give you now three very practical ways that you can apply this tomorrow at your work, with your customers, or with anybody that you work with, that you see on a regular basis. Number one, you, like Jesus, need To accept, follow the master's example, and accept people unconditionally. Every week you spend a minimum of 40 hours side by side with all kinds of people, right? People just like you and I who have hurts, they have habits, some really annoying habits, You know, the ones that are texting under the desk, hoping the boss doesn't see what's going on whilst you're slaving yourself to death. you think, why aren't you pulling your weight? You know those ones. So hurts, habits, and hang-ups that they have. They've got all kinds of problems in your life, those people sitting right next to you at work. You know, the, the obnoxious ones who are just downright rude. The difficult people that you have to work with. This one's a real tough one for Kiwis to deal with prideful people. Yeah, Kiwis just don't like prideful people. They have an aversion, like an allergic reaction to people who are prideful. You've got them in your office. The immoral people, who all they do is a mouth like a sewer and talk about their exploits, what they think are. The angry people, who are just so easily ticked off. Maybe you've got some of those around your office or in your work. And what really grates me... I'm just telling you, are the lazy people in the office. When the whole team's pulling me away, but somebody's over there, I don't know what they're doing. Just not much. Not hauling freight. Now, all of these people, you and I see on a regular basis. How does God want me and you to react and work with these people that you're going to see tomorrow? He says he wants me to accept them. Because that's a Christian thing to do. Accept them as Christ does to us. Notice this verse. Christ accepted you. So you should accept each other which will bring glory to God. Now Paul was talking about two groups that did not get along. Maybe it's like you and some of the people at work. Just not getting along. In this case Paul was specifically talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. They hated each other. Let me be clear about that. When you accept a person that you really don't like, God says, this is good, like my son Jesus did. All of us need acceptance in this room because none of us are perfect. So every one of us are flawed. We've all blown it and we've all made mistakes. Now, if you are expecting perfection from the people you work with you are going to get frustrated the bible is basically saying cut them some slack give people a little bit of room and He's saying, we and again it's a skill when often depends upon the family of origin we'll give you a handle on this too we need to learn to accept each other but you say well how can I accept the jerk at work how can I do that when they're so irritating well The key is to look past the obnoxious behavior into the deep hurt that's actually causing that obnoxious behavior. Because this is how it works. Hurt people hurt people. The thinking is, well, if I don't feel good about me, I certainly don't want you feeling good about you. And I walk around being sarcastic, obnoxious, and putting you down to make me feel better. So the point is, is that those who are least lovable in the office or around you are those who actually need God's love the most. And God says if you want to be like Christ, you need to learn to accept other people. Now, a good verse here to get some balance on this, real clear. This is Jesus' brother. He says here in James chapter 2, verse 13, Mercy triumphs over judgment God wants you to minister to people at work but you cannot minister to people if you are judgmental and legalistic no I am not saying that what they're doing is right but you cannot minister to people if you are judgmental and legalistic God says be accepting cut them some slack so that, but you also need to know there's an enormous difference between acceptance and approval. You can accept somebody without approving of their lifestyle or their behaviors. You can show love to a person without saying what they're doing is okay. Now the model for this, which can give you and me some strength to push forward with this, is Jesus. He loved everybody in spite of their sins. Because, oh boy, all have sinned. Remember? So in spite of our sins, Christ loved us. And he didn't. He accepted us all without approving of our behavior. This is the big point. A classic example of this is one day the religious, the legalists, the snooty-nosed legalists brought to Jesus a woman who'd been caught in the very act of adultery. Now they wanted firstly to try and trap Jesus and they wanted him to immediately judge her right then in the court of public opinion. When they bring him, if any of you saw the, the movie The Passion, Jesus leans down and he draws a line in the sand and then he starts to write in the sand and many commentators have supposed that what he was really writing there are some of the sins that these jokers who were trying to accuse this woman of had actually committed and he wrote them for everybody to see. And one by one the Bible actually talks about starting with the older ones who'd been through life a bit (coughs) said yeah that's me and they started to walk away. The Bible clearly says it started with the older ones. They were a little bit more humble, a little less judgmental. And eventually Jesus um, stands up from stooping on the ground, and he says, "Um, woman, where are your accusers? See, the devil loves to accuse, and he loves to use legalists to accuse. This is Jesus speaking. Where are your accusers? And she said, Lord, they've all gone away. Listen to this. Neither do I accuse you, but go sin no more. What she did was absolutely wrong. Adultery is always wrong. But he said, go do it no more. Instead of dwelling on her past, And what was wrong there, and drilling that down to the nth degree, he says, hey, you, go change the direction. Go a different way now. That is the term metanoia, the Greek repentance. Change your mind. You were going this way, now go this way. That's what you and I are to do with people who are blowing it at work. Let me ask you a question. Has nagging ever worked on you to change? Ah, it just sometimes digs you in further it doesn't work at home it doesn't work with your kids and it doesn't work with you and it doesn't work in the office fact is we need somebody to help us change Jesus can help you change you can't help somebody change without first accepting them because if you start accusing them what do they do? they put the defenses up so how do you do this? the Bible is very clear how to do this Galatians 6, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that means a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him, notice this part, in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch, lest you too be tempted. And he's saying, don't go in there without you. Well, how could you possibly do that? I would never do anything like that. He said, be very careful about that. Can I suggest this to you? And this is very hard to swallow for some of us, but I honestly believe it's true. Given the right circumstances, you will be surprised what you could fall for. So be gentle, he says here. So would I. It says the spirit of gentleness. circled gently there, or gentleness. God says, you don't rub it in when they blow it. You don't ignore it. Jesus didn't ignore it. You need to be gentle, not judgmental, just like Jesus was. Look what he did, caught in the act of adultery with people who have fallen into a problem and fallen into sin. Be gentle, lest you fall too. So I want this to be really practical today. And in each of these points, I want you to think of a specific person whom you can apply this to this coming week. So on your notes, where it says right there, who, I, ch- I would give you a moment to write down the name of one person that you can demonstrate acceptance to this week. And if you don't put a name down, can I just be really blunt? I don't think you're going to do much about this. And Jesus says, I want you to be doers of the word, not just hearers. The choice is now yours. Will you write somebody's name down? The second way you can minister at your work is to affirm people continually. This means that you treat them with dignity because in spite of their sin, like the woman, she is created in God's image. And if you want to stand out in your company, be an encourager. An encourager. Because encouragement is very difficult to find these days. Boy, you do wrong and the boss is on you like a ton of bricks. It's kind of like our kids. Have you noticed that? It's so easy to find things that they're not doing right. Don't do this and clean up your room and da 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 da. And you didn't do the trash. And you forgot the trash again. You know whatever it may be, but it's much easier to find the negative than it is to say, hey, you really did a good job of this. We need to keep balanced in this. The Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter five and verse eleven, encourage each other. Now I could just stop there. This is work we're talking about. Can I also suggest to you it's a great verse for marriages. It's a great verse for families. If we took a scale and we sort of weighed the, the words that we share with our I tell you what, something really weird happens. The very people we love the most were often the most disrespectful to. So if we weigh the encouraging words that we share with our spouse compared to, "Well, why isn't this done and, blah, 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 you know what I mean? I'm not going to go any further. I'd suggest to you, it's probably tilted the wrong way. The Bible says, whoa, encourage each other and build each other up. Build each other up. That's constructive, not destructive. Build, not tear down. And this is so important because some work cultures are incredibly caustic and negative. Anybody ever worked in a situation like that? I have. Anybody been in a really negative work situation? Yeah, horrible, eh? Just Terrible. In most work cultures, the facts are, you get far more pokes than strokes. And if you're a boss, or if you have influence around your team, and you're a team member, and you're not working by yourself, give some of those people some encouragement. Good job is very rare these days. Well done, because in most places, the message comes through loud and clear is this. You don't really matter. All that matters is that you produce. That's all that matters. What matters is your work and what you do for us. I don't really care about what happens outside this place. It's none of our business. That's the attitude. But God calls you and I to do the exact opposite. God says as believers, we are to value everybody. And Jesus says, those people that you work with, remember tomorrow I created them. Not only that, I died for them. That's how much they matter to me. So it's kind of like, be respectful there and affirm them. Now, when you affirm somebody, this is what happens. Same for your children. You raise them in value. You raise in value. When you appreciate people, you raise in value. Now, if you bought a house in the last five years, you know what that appreciation means. It raises in value. How can you affirm people? Very practically, a couple of thoughts, which may help. If you've got your own ways, great. If you haven't, these may help. Number, number one is by noticing them. Do you know that there are probably people at work that you don't even notice? That you may not even know their names. Another way you can affirm somebody is just by listening to them. It could be in the lunchroom. When you spend a moment listening to them on what their story is. Maybe by, you can affirm them by applauding their contribution. Well, here's a big one, by being interested in more than just their work, but what's going on in their lives and in their family's lives. And by including them rather than excluding them in events. Now, three specific ways to affirm right out of the Bible. Listen to them. Here's the first one. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So, One of the greatest gifts you can give people is an attentive ear. Fathers, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your children is a listening ear. Look them straight in the eye and listen to them. Look them straight in the eye and listen to them. And what that really says is, I really value what you have to say. Do it to your daughters, Dad. Look her straight in the eye. And she will get the message, something happens, there's a chemistry that happens, that she gets to know, you matter to me. Husbands, look her straight in the eye and listen to her. And when she wakes up from fainting, (laughs) send her back off by telling her that you love her. When you listen to somebody, it says, you matter to me, and what you, I value what you have to say, and who you are. So every time you genuinely listen to people at work, you are affirming them, you're ministering to them, and you're showing that you care. And by doing this, you are primarily an ambassador of Christ, and not just an employee. Get it? Good. We're doing well here. Now, what is the law of Christ? It's simply the great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. I remember those bunch of wiggling religious hypocrites said, well, here's my neighbor. Trying to get out of it when Jesus pinned that one down. And then he told the story of who? The good Samaritan. He was going on his way, and he saw this problem, and he didn't just walk straight past. He took time he was on a mission, but he took time out to help. So love your neighbors yourself. You like to be listened to, and so does everybody else. Now, the second way to affirm people is to use positive words. The Bible says, speak only what is helpful. Here we go again. In building others up according to their needs. Woo, woo. Not your needs, but their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So God wants us as believers to be people builders, not people users. Bosses, be careful. To be people builders, not people users. God says when you speak negative words to people, you destroy them. But when you speak positive words, you build them up. You know, good job, nice try. I really appreciate what you did. When you say that, it gives your people hope. But if somebody, what I've found is that people give you a genuinely heartfelt accepted word of praise. You can go weeks on that. Weeks. Interesting, isn't it? See, you don't know the power of your words. If they make any effort, your children, I know we're talking mainly about work, or even people at work, if they make any effort towards the Lord, commend them on that. If they make any effort towards being more mature or productive, whatever, commend them. When you see something good in their lives, compliment it, and that area will grow. Here's what I found what you tend to compliment tends to grow because you feed it. You're not tearing it down. The third way you can affirm people is by praying for them. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 you are helping us by praying for us. So make a prayer list of the people at work. There may be a particular one or two that you spe- specifically feel drawn to, in your office or on the job site, and you know what I've found? Even unbelievers appreciate prayers because they rationalise like that's well at least I'm covering all the bases. <laughs> so that, that I've I've I have never met one unbeliever that says oh no don't play for me. They'll take any help they can get from the sticky wicket. So here we come. Write down the name of somebody your work that you can encourage this week where you'll either affirm them through positive words or by listening to them or by praying for them you can do each one of those but choose a person write their name down because every christian is a minister not every you're not all pastors but you're all ministers It means that God wants to use your talent and your abilities to help other people, to be the hands and the feet and the ears of Jesus, and the mouth of Jesus. See, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a mature Christian to have a ministry. To minister at work, it only takes two four-letter words, love and time. Love and time. This is not rocket science, but somehow it's so easy. Just blow on by this. So if you're willing to put love and time into it, you can help people by accepting them, by affirming them, and thirdly, by assisting them eagerly. Be willing to lend a hand in a very practical way. Maybe to fix something. Maybe you're good at fixing stuff. Maybe you're really good at that or helping them out, or giving them a lift, or doing an errand, or babysitting, or offering to help with a project. Here's what happens. When you use what you know to help other people, that's called ministry. And all of us have got different areas of expertise. For me, I spend quite a lot of time, a ridiculous amount of time actually, but that's good. In areas you'd never think. Helping people with their PCs. Remotely here in New Zealand and all around the world. Literally. I've got about 80 people that are my team viewer. Who might help? There's just one little area that I've got knowledge. I can use that to help them. <coughs> Gratis. And you have too. You've got areas of knowledge that you can use. Galatians 6 verse 3 says, If you think, and I've come across this attitude, really, but it is there, and I wanted to mention it this morning, not on your outline. Galatians 6.3, you may want to write it down. If you think that you're too important to help somebody, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. In other words, Paul's saying is you've got a falsely inflated opinion of yourself. If you think that you're too important to help somebody, I'm just quoting from the scripture there. He says that's the wrong attitude to have. See, God isn't interested and impressed by your status. He is impressed by your service, not your status. God didn't put you on earth to have status. He did put you on earth to be of service. Jesus said it this way, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And last time I checked, You can't be a servant without service. That's Matthew 20, 26. And then he went ahead and modeled it. In Matthew 20, verse 28, he says, Your attitude, that's yours and mine, and everybody who claims to be a Christian. Your attitude, our attitude, must be like my own. For I, the Messiah, the King of kings, the one who... Created the universe, Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom to get you out of jail for many. Matthew 20, 28. So Jesus summarized, it says here, My purpose in coming to earth was to serve. What's your purpose? my purpose was to serve your attitude must be like that of my own very instructive now you and i have to be on our guard because our old selfish nature wants to be served i don't want to serve anybody else but me yet the mark of a christian once you've stepped across that line, is that you will have an increasing desire to serve. Now, there are different levels of maturity and servanthood, but every Christian needs to serve. John addresses this in, where is it? 1 John 2.13. He talks about, just like you, this is real easy. When you have little ones... John talks to three groups of Christians. He talks to the children, he talks to the young men, and he talks to the fathers. Three levels of maturity. When they're this age, they still do stuff. They clean their room and they make their bed. But they're very dependent. It's pretty much about them at that age, right? When they move to young men, young men can do all the basics. And they can actually take care of themselves, now even put the stuff away, and they can actually produce enough money, but it's normally just for them. That's it. right? So they produce, but it's just for them. They can do their own Bible study, but it's just for them. These guys, they have to be fed every day, otherwise, they're very weak. Your children need feeding every day. These guys, they've got that SAS pretty much, but they just produce for themselves. They feed themselves. But they don't feed anybody else just themselves. And they're, su- they're relatively self-sustaining. Some of you are smiling. And then the fathers, well, that's a different deal again. That's a different level of maturity in the Christian world. Fathers don't just produce for themselves. They provide for the family. They are real givers. They are real takers. They just look after themselves. And this group provide for others. They provide for others. They serve others it's not just about them three groups of people you read about them in 1 john two thirteen. now if you have no desire to serve the jesus and his church you might want to check am i truly an ambassador for his kingdom am i really a christian Because the spirit of Christ is service, giving yourself away. I may decrease that, he may increase. So the attitude of service will increase, and my selfishness will decrease. But if I'm stuck in this mode, feed me, pray for me, bless me, burp me, change my diapers, and if I don't, I'm all upset about ridiculous things. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Over here, well, a bit better over here. a Completely different level of maturity. Where are you? The Spirit of Christ will cause you to want to love His bride and strengthen her. It's all in giving yourself away. See, you and I are full of good intentions, but we just get too busy. And I've found good intentions are never good enough for me. Because I intend to do a lot of good things, but do I follow through? The Bible says, whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. Never tell your neighbor to wait until tomorrow if you can help him now. So it's because of procrastination we often miss windows of opportunity. And the classic, as I've said to be before, is neighbors. Oh my goodness. They roll in the door, you see the trucks come in, you think, oh, I should bake him a cake. I should go say hello, I should do something. I should have them over. How many times have we said that? And the next minute, a year's gone by, two years, and it's too embarrassing. Oh, Oh, welcome to the neighbourhood, two years later. Very embarrassing. So here's a question. Who in your office, your work site, where you work is barely hanging on by their fingernails? Make it your business to know. It's not just about the work work's important, very important, but people are very important they 're all around you at work, and <coughs> many of them have got major hurts. why don't we help them? why don't we stop to help them because we 're too busy to notice most of the time but and you say what well, Hang on, Pastor, you don't understand. I've got problems. I've got things going on in my life. I've got things to do. I've got goals to achieve. I don't have time for ministry. Well, if that's your approach, could I contrast that to Jesus's and say you're too busy? If you don't have time to help anybody else unselfishly in the world, your life is too self-centered. It's that simple. Let it never be said that we're not clear in this church. (laughs) God did not put you on this earth to live just for yourself. If you're too busy for ministry, you're too busy. And one day, you'd have to explain that to God. Being a Christian means that you are accepting people unconditionally, just like Jesus did. He didn't say, before I'll save you, you need to be perfect. You need to perfectly clean your act up. Wrong thinking. That's pharisaical thinking, legalistic thinking, complete wrong understanding of the gospel fundamentally flawed second you need to affirm people continually and third assess people eagerly. god wants us to help other people out so third point of application write a name it could be the same name it could be a different name who will you help and offer practical assistance to even if it's this week it could be as simple as picking up a telephone and saying how are you doing I had one of those conversations this week. Sometimes even a phone call can turn a life around. So why should I do this? Why should I be involved in using my work as a ministry? Colossians says this. In all the work you are doing, work the best you can. So as unto the Lord, we know that. So let's do that. Work as if you're doing it for the Lord and not for people. Remember that you will receive your reward from the lord which he promised to his people you are serving the lord jesus christ tomorrow morning jesus said it like this truly i say to you you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it for me for a believer if you claim to be a christian your work is never just a job. Stack and pallets, whatever it may be. It is a ministry. It is an opportunity to show Jesus' love for the people around you. And we serve God by serving others. I've heard people say, well, you know what? Sometimes I wish I could just quit my job and serve God full time. <coughs> could I humbly suggest that's not what the scriptures say. You do not have to quit your job to serve God full time. You can do it right now. You can serve tacos at McDonald's or wherever. Don't quit your day job. Just use it for God to serve him full time. What God is looking for is full service Christians in a self-serving world. Why don't we refocus on that tomorrow? Let's pray. Why do not you as a result of this message clearly from the scriptures pray something like this in your heart and say dear God I want to stop doing business as usual I want to make a difference in the people's lives through my work I want to stop marking time and picking up my paycheck and start influencing lives for you And I ask you to use me tomorrow to show your love to others. Lord, would you fill our lives with love? Help us to look outward, to see the needs around us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word which encourages, exhorts, comforts and challenges us. Apply it to our lives. Help us to use what we learn here on Sunday to make a difference on Monday. And for those of you here still with heads bowed, and you're not a Christian yet, but you're considering the claims of Christ, maybe you've never invited Christ into your heart, why not make that simple commitment right now and say something like this in your mind. Say, Jesus Christ, please come into my life. Forgive me of my sin." And would you, by your spirit, make me the person that you want me to be and help me to follow you faithfully till the day I meet you face to face. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said...